Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. I wanted to take a moment to explain why six episodes just popped up on your feed. A few years ago, we did an actual play of the Girl Underground RPG for our Patreon. We try to do something like this about once a year on our Patreon just to change things up and because we really enjoy being able to tell a story of our own. What you're about to hear are six hour-ish long episodes with Josh leading our adventure through worlds that might remind you of the Wizard of Oz, Narnia, and even the Territories. And if you enjoy this, we have another series on our Patreon feed called Kids on Bikes. And this summer we are going to be releasing our newest project, which is inspired by one of Stephen King's mystery novels. With all of that business out of the way, it is my pleasure to remind you that it is the tale, not they who tell it. Walking through the streets, you arrive at the unmarked building. As you approach, the door is opened with perfect timing by Stevens. Without breaking stride, you walk into the hall, remove your coat, and exchange it for the drink already awaiting you in Stevens' other hand. You wave to members, old and new, as you make your way to the fireplace. This is your night to bring the story, and it's time to begin. Welcome to the club. Welcome back to the club for chapter one of our series of Girl Underground. I'm Joshua Khan. I will be your story guide throughout this game. Uh, a brief description of what is Girl Underground. Girl Underground is a storytelling role-playing game, and it is described as a tabletop role-playing game about a curious girl in a wondrous world. Inspired by Alice's adventures in Wonderland, Labyrinth, the Wizard of Oz, Spirited Away, and similar tales. Follow a young girl's journey of self-discovery through a whimsical fantasy land with the friends she meets along the way. Explore twisted willowy woods filled with the whisper-soft lies, or tricky fairy rings with riddling promises on the way to overthrow an unjust ruler and eventually find your way back home. Now, we're going to be playing Girl Underground in a little bit different way. We're going to homebrew this a little bit because in the actual game proper, each one of our players plays a companion and takes turn controlling the, the girl. But because this is a podcast, the audio form, it's so much easier for the girl to have one solitary voice. So we do have that girl, and that girl is played by CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sam, will you tell us a little bit about the girl? My name is Kat Green. My name is Kat because I'm curious. I am a 12-year-old girl. I'm not of this world, and I'm trying to find my way back home. Home isn't exactly perfect, and there's a lot that's really hard and unfair about it, but it's still my home, and there are people there who love me, who probably miss me, and might be wondering why I haven't come in for supper yet, because I love supper. And we are joined by her companions in this adventure, uh, introducing first, Anthony Natarelli. Hi, I, I'm Anthony Natarelli, and I'm playing the Beastie. 
Uh, you are an animal, and like all refined animals, you use words to express yourself. With the notable exception of your ability to speak, you appear and behave as would any other animal. Sometimes that gets you into trouble, but it's never really your fault. Your quick tongue offers wise guidance to the girl and disrespect to authority figures. Authority is your focus, whether it's asserting your presence and renown, or refusing to acknowledge the status of others. You trade in stories and gossip about nobles, royalty, and those in power. Your wits and experience see you through any trap or puzzle. And we are joined by former Game Master returning as a player, Jeremy Marr. Hi, I'm Jeremy Marr, and I'm also still a Game Master, just not today. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be playing the fawn. Your body lives between two worlds, human and something else. Maybe your other half is a beast, making you something like a centaur or a mermaid. Or maybe you are attuned to something more elemental, like a genie or a shade. You are a being of transformational change, from your ability to grant wishes to the sharing of your shape-shifting abilities. You also find a way to turn nearly any event into a revelry and use that talent to useful ends. And Alex McGill. Hey everybody, I'm Alex, and I am playing The Construct. You were crafted by human hands and imbued with life through magical means. You might be a doll, toy soldier, scarecrow, robot, or something else, but whatever you are, you have been given human form and mostly human behaviors. Because of your strange creation, you have a special affinity for inanimate things. You can coax hidden knowledge from them or hide yourself amongst them. You long to be real and thus pay careful attention to the longings of others and use that insight to help the girls and your friends. Now, Kat, as we we met her earlier, our 12-year-old girl, is our main character for this journey of Girl Underground. So, CM, will you introduce us to the aspects you have selected for the girl? Sure, Josh. So, as I said, I picked the name Kat because my family has love, but they have no curiosity. So, that's why my name is Kat. So, this is also cool because the girl gets described physically. So, my hair is tangled and knotted like fraying rope. And I sound a certain way when I speak, which is quiet, like a secret thought, because I'm not good at voices. So I did something in my wheelhouse. (laughs) I do have a prized possession, and it's something that was given to me, something given to me by someone very, very special, and that is my mom. And it is a turquoise bracelet that I wear all the time. My biggest fear is judgment. I'm constantly worried that I'm not worthy that I'm not making the right decision, and I, I worry about what people think of me, what their perceptions are. And what I want to be when I grow up, also cheating in my wheelhouse, I'd like to be a social worker because Kat wants to help other people, and we'll find out a little more about why she feels that way. Fantastic. All right. Now, we have the general aspects of Kat uh, as a person, as who she is. So together as a table, we are now going to build Kat's family and, and a little bit of her history. So I'm going to go around and I'm going to ask you guys questions and we're going to use all of those to inform uh, her history and her her backstory. I'm going to start with CM since we just uh, got done with you introducing the girl. You say you got the bracelet that you always wear from your mother. Was there a specific reason that you have that bracelet? Did she give it to you? Was it was it willed to you? Anything like that? How did you acquire it? She did give this to me shortly before she died. So it's kind of like the last thing that I have of her. It's a physical representation of her love for me in a way. How did she pass? She was stampeded by horses. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> uh, what is? I don't mean to be so callous about your mom's passing. What? It, how was your mom in a situation in which she got trampled? Did your was your uncle holding her over the side of the cliff <laughs> and saying, "I will be king," and then throwing her over? Oh, okay. no, because it's the seventies, and I don't know what that is yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. No, my so our family, my mom and dad and myself, we were on our way to Disney World when my mom decided we needed to go on a detour to see the world's largest ball of yarn. And on the way, we came across a field of just these beautiful wild stallions. My mom is very much a hippie, and so she decided that the best thing to do was to get out of the car and just take a moment to appreciate nature and life and freedom and exhilaration and run with the horses. And that did not end well. How old were you when she passed? I was 11, so it was kind of recent. Very recent. Okay. Jeremy, how, what is, uh, will you name uh, her father? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> her father's name is uh, Charlie Green. Charlie Green. Uh, how what what does Charlie Green do for a living? He is a lawyer specializing in nothing. He's just a general. <laughs> he's like a middleman lawyer. Gotcha. That people okay. call first. Almost a secretary, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Anthony, what is her mother's name? Oh boy, her mother's name is Olivia. Olivia. Okay, yes. and we know Olivia is a bit of a hippie. But when she wasn't being a hippie, what was her job? Okay, um, so Olivia Green was a uh, was a lunch lady. She, you know, she she wanted to just go out there and help and feed the children. That was what she was like. You know, my my husband's off being a lawyer, uh, and sending people to other lawyers. So I'll I'll just go. We've got plenty of money. I can just go do something that fulfills me in the heart, and I can just feed these kids. Nice. Did she work at Cat's school? Oh yeah, of course. Alex, how did having her mom as her lunch lady growing up? And then now this year of school, she doesn't, there's a new lunch lady. How, do, how is that affecting Kat? Well, it makes lunches very hard, but she, uh, she notices that her friends treat her differently because they, they're all aware that her mom's not there anymore. So she's worried about Jane being uh, treated differently by her friends. How are they treating her differently? Oh, walking on eggshells and uh, whispering behind her back. Um, so she's kind of feeling a little set out, outcast a little bit. And, you know, she wishes she was still treated how she used to be treated. So she's being very isolated mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. because they think they're being kind, but in reality, they're just distancing themselves. Yeah, kind or maybe just sensationalist about the thing, you know. CM, what has your dad been like since your mom passed? Well, my dad was much older than my mom. And so it's really kind of weird us being alone in the house together because she was very young and full of life and he's kind of almost like a grandpa rather than a dad. She was sort of his life, his his spirit. And without her, life at home is very quiet and boring. And the best way to describe it would be to say that my dad and I move through our house kind of like we're ghosts too. Jeremy, is, does Kat have any role models outside of her family, like a, a teacher or a, a guidance counselor, anybody that positively affects her life outside her immediate family? He should. <laughs> um, so someone that she actually has contact with. It's not like she really likes Gene Simmons. <laughs> like, like, 
I think that she is friends with the librarian in town. And if she need, if uh, Kat needs to kind of get away and be off by herself for a little bit, the library is a good place to sneak away. Anthony, what is this librarian? What's her name? <laughs> just naming people yeah. sugar tits <laughs> oh my god hey that's what you get uh charlene charlene, charlene the librarian charlene charlene just... sugar tits smith charlene <laughs> sugar tits <laughs> oh my god that's terrible you got time to charlene you got time to charlene josh wow <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> she has that cross stitched on a pillow. It's a chest tattoo across her sugar tits. <laughs> oh my god! What a role model. Yeah, that's a that's a dynamite role model. Charlene is at amateur night. She keeps the top button when she's at the library. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. She keeps crazy. All right, yeah. I've seen the internet. It's <laughs> <laughs> got dark. Yeah, the- Cat sees something in Charlene. She spends, since her mom passed, she spent more time at the library than she used to. And it's because she sees something in Charlene that reminds her of her mom. What is, what what attributes does she have that she's missing? Well, Char- Charlene is, she's got that independence, similar to like the, the hippie free love, even be one with nature. Charlene has that same kind of independence, maybe directed in a different way, but she sees that in her as well. Because, uh, you know, she she sees her at the library. That's her her only point of contact with Charlene. She sees she's out here doing her own thing. She's running her own ship here. And she, you know, Charlene, she she's the one keeping this whole library running. So that's something to look up for. She, you know, the whole town doesn't care about this library, but Charlene keeps it running out of the good goodness of her heart. So she sees that go getter attitude and that self sufficient. Yeah, uh, I word jumbled my way to that. Yeah. <laughs> Can you repeat that? Um, no. <laughs> it can be played back, but I cannot repeat it. <laughs> Alex, we talked about her friends earlier and that that her friends are, are kind of distancing themselves from her. Who Who is her best friend? Uh, a boy named James. Uh, he was a nerdy kid, um, and she, he would go to the library with her a lot. They were really into uh, the fantasy and uh, uh, science fiction style of books, so they, were, they liked to talk about that sort of thing and imagine those kind of worlds together, you know? How did they become friends? Oh, yeah, they met at school. Um, uh, James was kind of a loner out nerd who wasn't really making many friends, but Kat kind of reached out and embraced him and made uh, friends with him, so uh, he really looked up to her, uh, looks up to her, and, um, yeah, they're close friends like that way. And I'm going to go one more question. So, CM, we, we know all these important people in Kat's life, how has Kat been dealing with the changes in, not just in her life after losing her mom, but how has she been dealing with the changes in all of her friends and family and, and role models? One of the things that has sort of created a rift between her and all of her friends, including James, but not quite to the same extent as everyone else, is that Kat, the reason she's been spending so much time at the library lately is that she is convinced that her mom isn't dead. She like she well she may be dead, but she's convinced she can access her spirit some way. Like her mom went to another plane or another world or something. And so she's been reading a lot, kind of becoming obsessed at the expense of all else. Uh, you know about past lives and um, you know different theories about what happens after you die and hauntings and she's just sort of investigating this kind of 
paranormal science fiction-y world because she can't really accept that her mom's gone and she's looking to find her. And her friends see that and it's really hard for them to deal with that. And so I think that that might be part of the reason that they've been distant, although she doesn't realize that. Now, one of the reasons that Kat is so tied to this supernatural thread with connecting to her mom is that uh, when Kat was little, she had some near-death experience. What was that experience and and how did that situation resolve itself? Her parents took her to the beach when she was very young. She was so fascinated by the ocean and just just the huge waves and all the creatures that she imagined underneath the water that she couldn't see. And they told her you know, only to go out this far, but she kept pushing it and pushing it. And she is very curious, so... She's also kind of smart about that, and she was looking back to see if they were paying attention, and as soon as, as soon as she saw that they were distracted, she pushed out as far as she could go, and she got pulled in and almost drowned, and the lifeguard had to save her. All right. Okay, now that we know everything about the girl, we have to set the manners. Now, the manners are an important element of this game because they are all of the societal rules that the girl is bound by. They they control a lot of, of how she thinks, how she reacts to things. And as we get further into the game, the point is to break all of these traditional patriarchal manners and create brand new beliefs so that Kat can transform into a strong young woman. So we've gone around the table and everybody here has selected two manners to put onto the girl. So we're going to go around the table. Anthony, what are the two manners that you've selected? Young ladies must always be quiet and patient, and young ladies must never cheat. Jeremy? Young ladies must never show anger. Young ladies never brag or show off. CM? Young ladies must always follow instructions. Young ladies must look before they leap. And Alex? Young ladies must always be humble. And young ladies must never take up too much space. Fantastic. So we have all of these manners in place that this is how Kat has been raised to believe this is how she has to act. Anytime Kat breaks one of these, she will have to roll two d6, two six-sided dice. And uh, this game operates on the apocalypse system. So it's a mixed success system. You all have a list of powers that your characters have in front of you. And when you activate those powers, you roll 2d6. Anything seven or higher is a success. Seven to nine is a mixed success. And six or lower is not technically a failure because you'll still accomplish things. But there'll be a little hitch in what you did. One of the advantages to creating new beliefs, as we'll explore later in the game, is not only... Can Cat utilize the new beliefs, but anytime any player rolls on their powers, if they use one of her beliefs, you get to add another d6 to your pool, and you just take the top two. So you have a higher chance of succeeding with no repercussions the more beliefs you have the girl acquire and the more beliefs you use as a team. Our story begins in a seaside town a few hours south of Wilmington, North Carolina. Heaven's Bay is a small tourist town which booms with visitors throughout the summer. The entire town economy lives or dies by this season, and this year, it feels as though it's the latter. 
Bed and breakfasts never added no to their vacancy signs. Souvenir storerooms are full of unopened boxes of unsold products. And local restaurant, The Dog Pound, added no new photos to their eating challenge wall of fame. Ten hot dogs in ten minutes. However silent the town feels, it does not compare to the silence felt out on the beach. Because this is the year the town's lifeblood, an amusement park by the name of Joyland, never reopened. It is on this eerily silent day, September 22nd, 1977, the last day of summer, the last day before Cat Green becomes a teenager, that chapter one begins. If we were watching a movie version of this story, imagine you'd see an aerial shot exploring a long, empty beach. As we continue down, the area becomes sparsely more populated those little bed and breakfasts that I talked about appearing on the beach, little shacks, until we get to these large, beautiful homes atop cliff sides with stairs leading from grassy backyards down rocky hills leading to the sandy beach below. We hold over one of these houses as we see a small figure descending those stairs. We begin to move in as we see her destination, which is a picnic table on a makeshift beachside patio at the bottom of the stairs. Cat Green sits at that table, silently looking off to her right, where she can see the skeletal remains of an amusement park that has remained unchanged all summer. She has a lot on her mind as she looks at this amusement park. Cat, what is she thinking about? She's reflecting on the the girl who recently got murdered at that amusement park. Hmm. Whoa! Damn. <laughs> That's very brutal. What what was the what was the the case? A young woman was killed three years ago. It took a very long time to find her killer, and it turned out that it was an employee of the amusement park. And Kat is fascinated by this story because it was just some guy who solved this crime, essentially. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that she's very obsessed with figuring out, like, where her mother's spirit is and if she can make contact with that spirit again. And there were all these rumors that this guy who solved this murder did it in part because this ghost appeared to him and so it's that connection you know she's thinking okay there ghosts maybe are real somebody saw one and he was able to solve this crime so she's become obsessed with that because it further supports her belief that maybe she can find her mom as she comes out of this thought she's staring off at the the amusement park and she starts to feel uneasy cat looks around and discovers that she is no longer alone on this beach. Three men who were not there a moment ago, she's sure of it, are staring at her. They're still far enough away that she has to squint to see them. She doesn't recognize them, but she does think that they are oddly dressed in black pants and black hooded sweatshirts, despite the heat coming off the sand. The only color on their clothing is a small spot of red on their chest that she can't quite make out. She continues to focus on them and they become a little clearer. These men have dull, smooth faces, similar to a mannequin. They begin to walk towards her. What does Kat do? Kat doesn't want to be rude, because her parents always taught her that when a stranger says something to you, an adult specifically, that you respond politely. And so, although her instincts kind of scream at her to get up and run, because there's something very uncanny and off-putting about these figures, 
rather than getting up and running, she gets up and she moves herself closer to the edge of the water. So she's she's not just sitting at the bench anymore, kind of feeling trapped. She feels like she has options, but she's just standing there kind of waiting to see what happens. As soon as Kat moves further towards the beach, you see the these three men start to angle towards you as though the, the approach they are making is gonna close you off from heading anywhere but into the water. Uh, you can't head back to uh, your house and uh, they're they're blocking your way and they continue to move further towards you. Hello, good sirs. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you like curtsy when you this very formal. It's that fantasy novel thing. Yeah. <laughs> they're moving closer now. They the men don't acknowledge you as as you talk to them. In fact, they begin to pick up their pace. They walk faster, but the expression on their face never changes. It is uh, a stock still face and their eyes are never leaving you. And now now that they're a little closer, you can see that they have, uh, they're all wearing like a necklace that has like a a crimson egg-shaped pendant hanging on their chest. And they're not acknowledging you. They're just moving towards you. And Kat, I think now is the time to break one of your manners. I am filled with dread because it appears that my only option is to go into the water. And the last time I went into the water like that with just pure abandon and curiosity, I almost died and had to be kind of brought back to life by Timothy the lifeguard. Even though I'm terrified and I don't want to do it, there's just something awful about these guys and they didn't respond to my very polite introduction. And so I take off at a dead run right into the ocean. What uh, what manner are you breaking? Young ladies must always look before they leave. All right. So we're breaking our first manner. So roll 2d6. Nine. Nice. That is a mixed success. So, so now explain to us how you overcome this feeling. And it is a mixed success. So how do you also falter or go too far in the process? As I make this decision to leap into the ocean to try to escape, I, I don't really have an idea of why that's going to work or how it's going to work out for me. I just know that I need to put something between me and these men. And so I I have this moment of pride and triumph that I was able to overcome this fear of the ocean that I've always kind of had. I haven't really gone back into the water since that incident. But unfortunately, as I'm doing this and I'm filled with elation and I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm safe and look, I'm, I'm okay and I've overcome this fear, I get stung by a jellyfish. <laughs> Fantastic. So we need to create a new belief for you. Jellyfish are mean. It's a very weird belief <laughs> in overcoming that fear. It's very it's, helpful down the road. You can all, you're all able to chime in on what you believe her new belief should be. Like, you, we create this as a team. Oh, so so like it's not just up like to her. Vying for the ideology a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do have the marker. So I have that is true. Say, but I in the end, it your... is the girl. Maybe it's about facing your fears. Yeah. Like, or, uh, like, don't be afraid of the unknown. Having, like, a healthy mistrust of, like, these are really creepy people. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no. it's, okay to, it's okay to leap if there's creepy fucks coming uh, in. The ability to recognize something's out of place or something's not right. Ooh, Trust like, your instincts. Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. There, you go. there you go. 
So now anytime any of you trust your instinct, you'll be able to roll an additional dice and you take the top two. Guess who's always mm. getting It's risky. <laughs> okay, Cat jumps into the water and realizes far too late that there's really nowhere to go but out. And there, there's not a lot of safe distance there. And, uh, and the dull-faced men start trudging after her. And one of them manages to catch up to her. And they grab you and drag you. They throw you back onto the sand. But now they're fighting their way out of the surf. And there is a, a clear path to you towards the amusement park to get away. So first, I beg one of them to pee on me because I got stung <laughs> by a jellyfish. I see the amusement park, and something tells me it's all falling together, and that is where I need to go. And I remember that it was a specific attraction where the ghost girl was seen by this guy who solved the case. So. I get up and I start limp running my way to the amusement park. As you look back over your shoulder, you see these men, they've come out of the water. Uh, still, the, the face is, is stoic and unchanged and they start chasing you as you climb over the, the gates and climb into Joyland. And, and you hide and you, you come up to a sign. It's been years since you've been there and you see just the, the arrows that point you into different directions. You see the there's a wax museum, you see the arrows to the Carolina spin, and then you see uh, something calls out to you when you see the sign pointing towards Mysterio's mirror mansion. I'm just inexplicably drawn to Mysterio's mirror mansion. So I decide that I'm going to enter it and see if maybe, I guess I think maybe in the mirrors, like. I'll lose them somehow. You can hide safely. Yeah. Good plan. You rush inside and you find your way through and, and you find a place that you think is going to be safe and, and, and wait them out. If you feel like if, if you that child logic of like, if I can just wait, they'll get tired and go away or something. And you've waited and there's silence and you think, okay, maybe, maybe this is over. Maybe I can come out. And then you hear the entrance to the hall open and in all the reflections you can see to these dull-faced men walking through but you notice something strange as they are walking through the mirrors around them start rippling some strange effect is happening as they walk past and then that ripple goes to all the other reflections and, and you see all of these these different shapes and these different reflections cast. All of a sudden, you feel a hand grab you on the back of the neck, and one of these men grabs you and pulls you towards him. What do you do? I scream, because that's normal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I, I twist in his grasp, because my mom was a hippie, but she's also fiercely independent, and so is a librarian, so between the two of them, they've taught me a lot of self-defense moves. So I, I get out of his grasp and I grab the necklace on his chest and I yank it with all of my strength and then I stumble backwards into a mirror. As you touch the mirror, what you expect to have a solid feeling behind you, you tumble through this mirror 
And in this sudden falling feeling, you are then weightless and you can't breathe. And you realize you're underwater. There's a small point of light ahead of you, but it feels too far to reach. You start swimming towards it. The survival instinct kicks in. You make your way closer and closer to the surface, and it feels like the, the surface of the water is not getting any closer, no matter how hard you flail and you put all of your might into swimming up just before you feel like you've reached the surface. Blackout. Suddenly, you are ripped from the darkness, Cat, and you are brought up into the sky, and you take a big gasp of air, and you're, you're coughing, and, and you're gagging. You turn. So, someone's hands are on you, and they are these, these clawed, they just feel gross to have on you, and you turn, and you see this just drenched, looks like a monster in front of you that uh, that is now standing over you. What do you do? I scream and I kick it in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> you kick a red panda in the balls. Uh, and uh, Anthony, how does the red panda react to being kicked in the balls and screamed when you just saved her life? Oh boy, does it hurt! <laughs> <laughs> You hear this voice come out of this what you what at first looked like a very dangerous monster. That voice just came out of it and is desperately holding his gomers. I I am so sorry. I you scared me. I I didn't mean to and I like reach for him like it and then I pull back like what am I going to do for his balls? Cat <laughs> <laughs> takes a step back and, and it, it's uh, it's nighttime and there's the full moon out and you look at the sky. As soon as you look at the sky, you realize this cannot be your world. What do you see when you look up that makes you realize this 100% cannot be where you came from? So I look up at the stars and I'm used to seeing, you know, the Big Dipper, the Little Dipper. But what I am not used to seeing is the Medium Dipper. <laughs> <laughs> Where does it fall? North. Of the Big Dipper? There, There is no Big or Little oh, Dipper. It's, it's just, just... To the north, it's just a Medium Dipper. <laughs> and that's that. what it's called, too. <laughs> <laughs> With no reference. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, you look around, and you are, you're on the edge of... Uh, of woods, Jeremy. What what does she? What is different about the like the plant life here? The moon is out and it casts this eerie glow, but there aren't any shadows cast by the trees or anything. Ooh, Alex. She she takes her first breath of air, and it does not smell like the beach where she was momentarily. What what is what strange aroma? is in the air when she when you breathe it. It definitely smells lots of uh I say like wildlife or animals, maybe like like she's on a farm, maybe like a soft uh manure smell kind of or uh It smells very like wildlife. Mm-hmm. Wildlifey. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. 
Anthony, what... What is it named? <laughs> is that your question? <laughs> no. The medium dipper. What, <laughs> what looks scarier here than it looked in the world she came from? There's something like eerie about this place. What is it? So everything in this world is like every naturally occurring like wildlife, plant life, whatever. Uh, there's a, a bioluminescence to it. Ooh. But not like when we think of, of like bio, like, like uh, bioluminescent fish and things that are very pretty. It's like a kind of a, an, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not intimidating, but it's iridescent. No, I don't know what the word menacing. is. Menacing. No, well, menacing works. Menacing is a synonym for the word my brain can't find. So it's off purple. Yes. It's, yeah. it's off Classic purple. bad guy color. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Mace Windu the, with his lightsaber. <laughs> The forest, like, is super into Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah, okay, <laughs> perfect. So in, in the moonlight, everything kind of gives off a, almost a purplish reflective glow. Yes. Got it. Yeah, very incel. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and now we, we jump back. You've, Kat, you've taken all of these details in about the world, <laughs> and you are still faced with a, a red panda. About how, how big are you? I'm about two foot tall. About two foot tall, just holding your gomers, as I yeah. recall. And you're just, you just are crying about your gomers. Yep. Okay. That's my gomers. Cat, <laughs> what do you do? I am apologizing profusely. I love animals. So once I, I see that, or I hear that he can talk, I'm fascinated. And I start asking a thousand questions like, hey, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't. You just startled me. I, how can you talk? Where am I? What is this? What's your name? Do you have a name? Are you a boy or a girl? I guess you're a boy because I did kick you in the balls. I'm so sorry about that. It's all good. Just going to take a few minutes and then my voice will change. It'll be great. <laughs> I don't have to deal with this for too much longer. <laughs> but just give me, just let me, let me get the breath back in me. <laughs> As you watch this red panda drop to one knee <laughs> holding his genitalia, you, you catch... A different smell on the wind. The breeze blows through, and you smell the first real familiar scent that you have this entire time you've been here. Corn you dogs. <laughs> yes, corn dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and you turn to the direction of those corn dogs, and you see lights, and you see tents. You see red and white striped tents off in the distance and you hear the sounds of of revelry happening inside them in my sort of shocked brain i assume that this is joyland so i get very excited and i i grab gomer by the hand i say come on little bear let's go back <laughs> and i start marching my way to the tents and lights for a quick clarification gomer is his name it, but also what he refers to as <laughs> Well, you haven't introduced yourself, so <laughs> she you so you just grab a stranger by the arm. I called him Little Bear. Little Bear? How do you react to being called Little Bear? I'm I'm along for the ride, okay? I, I'll clear I'll I'll clear this up later, but I'm still recovering. She can drag me. I that's where I was heading anyway, so <laughs> So you you grab this <laughs> little bear and sprint off towards these tents and the closer you get you you hear music you hear people cheering you just hear all of these great sounds and you you push your way through an opening in the side of this tent and you see this amazing circus 
inside. There, there are people in the stands cheering at uh, trapeze artists swinging from the top of the tent. And you see a this woman who is wearing a, a ringmaster's garb. And when you look at her, she looks really familiar. She looks, she doesn't look exactly like the librarian you know, but she has some physical characteristics that are the same. What do you see in her that you, that look like the librarian? You guys know what I'm gonna say. She, I, I, have, I have no choice but to go with the pretty much only defining characteristic you assholes have given this librarian. And I see tattooed across her ample bosom the word sugar tits. It's not just sugar, it says full sugar tits. Yes. <laughs> She's a bold woman. She's not ashamed. Like her, she has her, like her outfit is, yes, a very sexualized version of a ringmaster outfit, but it's also, it, it gives the air of, of empowerment. It, it's, it's, it's showing off exactly what she has decided is appropriate for her uh, as the the ringmistress of this circus. And you walk in just in time as she's getting the crowd's attention and across the tent, a, uh, a man climbs into a cannon and it's fired off across this tent and she twirls the staff in her hand and you notice that the top of the staff almost looks like one of those bubble wands and she blows into it, and this bubble comes out and collides with the cannonball man in midair and safely lulls him to the ground, and the crowd loses their damn mind. Holy shit! Like, everybody's going nuts, and then you you hear this, you've been around people, your dad's been drunk before, Kat. Uh, so the the crowd is, is cheering, but you hear this one kind of like loud, drunkish voice come from the crowd. That doesn't look very hard. <laughs> <laughs> that guy didn't do anything. He's just a big bullet. <laughs> you, you turn and you see uh, an anthropomorphic fox uh, that is standing there jeering the acts. He's got uh, one of those old school moonshine jugs with three X's on it, like popped <laughs> up on his arm and he takes a swig out of it and he, he he looks a lot he's like you'd say oh that's just a fox but he's standing on his hind legs and when you notice his paws when he takes the slug out of it that his hands are fairly human shaped but they're just like they're colored like a fox's would be and he's gonna go right up to that cannon and go my turn <laughs> as, as uh, he climbs into the cannon just unceremoniously head first <laughs> diving into this the the ringmistress looks around and ladies and gentlemen we have a, a surprise appearance by uh, Robin Goodfun normally our sword juggler has decided that he can fit in a cannon ladies can we hear a round of applause for Robin Goodfun <laughs> And out of the head of the cannon, Robin Goodfun pops up and he's like, forgot he sets his jug of booze carefully next to the <laughs> next to the cannon. Don't we gotta need that for a celebration slug. <laughs> but he shrinks back into the cannon. And she turns to uh when you look 
at who's manning the cannon, you, you see what appears to be a statue, a toy soldier. How tall, how big is this toy soldier? I'm probably normal human size, so uh, probably five and a half feet. Yeah. Five and a half feet. Standing behind the cannon, the ringmaster says, Captain Ash, fire when ready! <laughs> okay, Robin, keep your head down. This might get bumpy. And so, uh, I, I'm counting on it. <laughs> with my experience as uh, uh, an army soldier, I've had experience with these uh, cannons. So I take aim, adjust the angle for the new uh, ordinance, and I shoot right in the middle of the, <laughs> the ring. <laughs> The moment you're fired out of the cannon, Robin, what is the first thought that goes through your head? Oh, God. (laughs) Robin, the first human cannonball you saw was just this beautiful picturesque version of, like, what you imagine in your head when you think human cannonball. Once this fox is fired out, it is the ridiculous spinning cartwheel in the air just wild flailing yeah it's like if you've seen one of those squirrels that have gotten caught like on like a a, a shotgun thing where they throw they fling the squirrel out of the air it just goes limp <laughs> and he just wildly flings around <laughs> I told him to keep his head down that's perfect <laughs> and so fucked <laughs> and the ringmistress blows into her wand again sending a, a bubble up that just catches hit Robin just before he would hit the stands and the crowd loses their mind. Yeah! <laughs> and Robin, Robin vomits <laughs> inside of that bubble. bubble. <laughs> Cat, you, you're standing here holding claws with this red, this two foot tall panda, what what do you what do you do? What you take all of this in? When I see someone throw up, I throw up. So <laughs> I turn and I throw up, and I I wasn't paying attention to where I was turning and throw up right on little bear's head. I'm becoming less and less okay with saving you. This is this was a terrible mistake. I, I need to go towel off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As you say you need to towel off the ring mistress that you know as ring mistress Maya sees you just covered in puke. And she's like, Gomer, Gomer, come here. Oh, God, you you were filthy. What did you do? I told you not to leave the tent. I saved a girl and she kicked me in the Gomers and threw up on me. Oh, right in your Gomers. Right in my Gomers. Well, good for you for saving a girl, I'm sure you did, and I'm sure it's not just another thing you're saying to get out of being in trouble. No, it's true. I saved her. She threw up on me. Wh- it wasn't okay. Robin again. Okay, where, where is this little girl? She's over by the entrance to the, the tent. And you see the... Covered in vomit? <laughs> the ri- <laughs> well, you're covered in vomit, actually, is what it looks like. I'm pristine. <laughs> oh, look at that. She didn't get a drop on her. <laughs> and she turns and you... You see this woman with a tattoo that says sugar tits across her chest make eye contact with you. And she, the moment she sees you, she is fascinated. And she approaches you. She says, well, hello. Did you, uh, did you uh, buy a ticket to our lovely event tonight? No. 
I can at least say you're honest. Gomer, will you please go get cleaned up and uh, grab a grab a corn dog for our, our lovely little guest over here? Yeah, sure. She's done so much for me. I'll get right on it. <laughs> Thank you. I walk up with two towels, one for Gomer and one for uh, Robin. Ash, you, you are a true soldier and a true gentleman. Just following orders, ma'am. Thank you, Ash. And right maybe from behind her, oh, right where the ringmaster stand is, Robin Goodfun is... A t- taken the stand and is now acting like ringmistress. <laughs> Good. And just says, next up, that little girl. This is point, the spotlight right at Cat. Pulls onto you, Cat. And the ringmistress is standing next to you. And she like out the side of her mouth. So what do you do? Oh, I hate you guys so much. I I can juggle. Perfect! Absolutely perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, what is your name? Cat. Cat, the juggling fanatic! And we, uh, she turns and she hands you swords. <laughs> I, well, I cannot juggle at all. I've never even tried it. So what do you do? I, so I walk out into the middle of the ring and I, I decide I'm going to try to... Yeah, there's no fucking thing for that. <laughs> I'm going to try to channel my mom because she was always brave. And I'm just going to go for it. And I just think, I bet her spirit is going to support me in this. And it's going to be fine. You know what? I'm ready. This is my moment. I've never been one for a crowd, but I think I can do this. So I, I walk out with my shoulders back, my head up. And I take the swords and I toss the first one into the air as high as I can. And then I toss the next one. But the lights are so bright that I I just kind of lose track of what I'm doing. I'm a little bit mesmerized. And I miss the first sword and it comes down right on my foot. Oh my god! <laughs> so uh, what do you do now that you have a sword in your foot? Can I... Can I react? Yeah. I, I want to use my body as an object and like try and uh, block because I can recognize the trajectory. Perfect. What is the, what is that? That I power. I a, 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 a novice swordsman when I see one. Like, Ash, you're going to be using <laughs> one of your powers. What power are you using? Uh, well, it, I don't think I have a power for this. Uh, just stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I can uh, absorb some damage. Here. Yeah. 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 Roll roll two d six. Let's see what you get. Yeah. Are you trusting your instinct? <laughs> is your instinct to protect people? No, this is from years of experience. I know what I'm seeing here. This is not going to end well. So I see the first one pierce her foot. I'm like, okay, I got to intercept these second two swords. Before. Alex, I, I think that you're, you are trusting your instincts. So you should get another yeah, dice. Yeah, roll, roll a third dice. dice. Yeah. You take the two highest. So I can roll this when I suffer incredible damage. Okay, here. Oh, I got a six and a four. A ten. All right. So yeah, I just take this damage. And so... Uh, let me see. So, okay, so uh, he successfully dives before the two more swords after the one pierces her foot. Two more come down and they are headed straight for her head. And Ash, the toy soldier, uh, leaps to take this damage instead of her. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to turn this question to the table. Now that he uh, he is impaled straight through by two of those swords... And now you realize, oh, God, we have to fix him. How do you guys decide to fix him? I think, like, uh, I, I just reached up with both my arms, like, tried to just knock, deflect him both of my arms. And so, like, both of my arms at this point are just s- skewered to the, uh, <laughs> the floor of the ring. 
I mean, this isn't the first time that we've had to fix him, <laughs> right? So, so well, yeah, this, these are detachable parts. We'll take them, them arms off, let him torso around I'm for a bit. I'm pretty battered and beat up at this yeah, point. Yeah, well, and we'll get his arms over to the, the woodsmith, get these swords <laughs> out of him, and he'll get arms back in a little while. Yeah, I'm not too Have your arms back it, by morning. That's the woodsmith guarantee. <laughs> so we got to figure out what the crowd is doing at this point. <laughs> There's That's no your way job. I figured out what we're doing with the arms. <laughs> what I mean is, like, how are they reacting while this is going on, right? Well, we gotta mix, uh, convince them as part of the show, right? I mean... You hear one... Boo! <laughs> boo! And you turn, and it is a, a man. He's, like, very similar to Robin, the, the anthropomorphic version of an animal. He is a, an anteater. And so his little <laughs> snout just... It drops down, and then... It, goes up to go boo <laughs> and he starts and he has a notepad and he's writing down like what he's seeing and he just looks really dissatisfied and the crowd is like oh uh, yeah yeah I start bawling because everyone I've met so far I've injured in some way <laughs> and I feel terrible I go uh, help cat with the sword I stumble over and look at it. Does it hurt? Yeah, it. But I'm afraid if you if you pull it out, that I'm just gonna bleed to death. It's the only thing keeping my blood in. Yeah, but if we don't pull it out, we can't move you from this spot. You're kind of oh pinned God. here. Did everybody see? Yeah. Oh. Oh it's all right. It's all oh. right. I put you on the spot. I thought we were just gonna shoot you through that cannon. I didn't know. Oh, why didn't I say the cannon? I'm so sorry. Why about did that. I say juggling? Robin, Robin, I'm gonna need you to to make a roll. If you wish to to heal this wound on her with using your skill as you wish. Oh, okay. This is the grant a wish. So you're kind of embarrassed and in pain. Yeah. Do you want to have a second chance at that, or what do you want? I want to juggle like the best juggler there ever was. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah you do. <laughs> Give me a roll. A nine! A nine! So, how does... The, the the wish is granted. So, you now have the ability to juggle. But, Kat, how does the wish leave you wanting more? Describe what happens, and then describe how you just wish... What you wish there was more of in this. I reach down, and I grab the other two swords. And I start throwing them in the air. You pull them out of the arms of the wood. Yeah, it's beautiful. And as I'm doing it... I reach down and I pull the one out of my foot like it's nothing, and I throw that in the air, and no one has ever seen a juggling quite like this. But I'm not satisfied because I just want more. I want to throw more in there. So I'm like yelling out to the crowd in a way I would never, ever do. Like, throw me something. I can juggle it. I'm the best juggler. People start throwing chairs. And I take the them and I juggle. There you go. Keep going. I'm not being very. I'm, I'm bragging. Yeah, is she gonna break? <laughs> yeah, you gonna break a manner? Go for yeah, it. Heck yeah. To be fair, wouldn't we all brag and show off if we were just in part of it? The <laughs> best juggling. You got in a the wish world? to to make it, so go ahead and give me a roll. Seven. So now you have to tell us how you overcome this challenge, and how you falter or go too far. Well, I've never really been good at anything. You know, after my near-death experience, my family kind of sheltered me, so I never tried anything, which is why it only occurred to me to say juggling when I was asked (laughs) what I could do. And so I am just filled with this exuberance, and, and I think that 
I can do anything now. And I just start screaming, I'm the best. No one can beat me at juggling. I dare you. Now, what new belief? It's time to create our new belief. What have we replaced the do not show off? This is a messy one, you guys. Yeah. (laughs) Try new things. (laughs) The crowd, though, is going nuts. The crowd's losing their mind at how crazy this juggling is. I think Kat learns that it is is okay to put yourself out there, even though it may be scary, because it might turn out okay. Put yourself out there. Put yourself out there. As this big spectacle, people, the crowd is just throwing things and she's grabbing it and uh, Robin is like, hey, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he knows what he did. He's he thinks she's back. the best. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm the best. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and at that moment, like so much stuff has been thrown in and the ringmistress Maya comes in. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our show. Thank you so much for making the trip out here to the Painted Circus. We wish you well. Tell your friends. Come out and see us again sometime. Have a good night. And she closes the show down, and and, and the lights drop, and and people start chattering amongst themselves and start moving out. Cat, you see that Gomer is now clean of puke, and and he approaches you. Corn dogs in hand. With corn dogs, yes. (gasps) Is that for me? And I take both corn dogs? (laughs) All right, so like... One of those is free. I, I, gotta, I gotta actually fucking get rid of this voice. No, it's great. It's great. All right. So, like, one of those is for you. Like, we, I don't, just, I take the corn dogs. I don't care. <laughs> you show up in our world in the ocean, and you, you, you kick me in the gomers. You throw up on me, and then you take my corn dog. I'm just trying to be nice and bring you a corn dog. You feel a, a gomer. You feel a hand on your shoulder, and it's ringmaster's mind. She's like, "Gomer, gomer, it's okay." Dad, I'm just, I'm, I'm not a little bear. I know. I, I'm a red panda. I know you're not a little bear. She knows you're a red panda. It's been a stressful day. I'm sorry. Day. I, I didn't catch your name. She looks at at you. My, so. my name's Cat, and I'm, I'm so sorry, uh, red panda. And Cat. I hand you both of the... Gomer, what do we say? I accept your apology. Thank you for my corn dog back. <laughs> do, you, do you snag both of them or just one? I just take one. And... <laughs> <laughs> as much as I want both of them, I just take one. Because Maya did tell me to get her a corn dog, and I listened to Maya. You go off with your, your corn dog, and Maya puts her arm around you, Cat, and she, she takes you in like, so, um... <laughs> Excellent juggling. Excellent use of a wish. Robin! And Robin has wandered over to uh, Ash and is saluting him. (laughs) He has no arms. (laughs) Come on! Come on, I'm a superior officer. Come on, let's go patch you up, Captain. It's sorry. What is that? What? Little girl. A cat, was it? I've seen a lot of people get stabbed with swords before, and it usually is a life-changing operation. How do you feel right now? How's your foot? And at that moment, all of the pain and horror of that situation comes <laughs> flooding back to me. I had been so excited about about being able to juggle that I had temporarily forgotten that I was stuck through the foot with a sword. <laughs> and I double over in pain. I'm like, it, I, it's fine. With that, uh, Robin... Puts his arm around the armless Captain Ash, and they move to get repaired. And Mistress Maya, Ring Mistress Maya, scoops you up and takes you over to a bench as everybody is is leaving. She's like, "It's 
honey, it's okay. We, the, trust me, this happens every night. I swear it happens every single night. And she pulls out like some some first aid stuff and starts putting your foot together. And that's when you notice we didn't discuss what you were wearing before you came through the portal, but you now notice that your clothes have changed when you like take stock of what you're wearing. What are you wearing now? Well, I was wearing a very respectable and long skirt because no ladies don't wear pants and a blouse. And now I'm wearing, like, do you guys remember MC Hammer? She <laughs> <laughs> ever hammer pants? Hammer no. Uh huh. <laughs> I know it's still the 70s, but I'm wearing these, yeah, these awesome pants that Velcro at the ankle. Oh my God. So they can be kind of bigger if I want them to. If I want them to be slim, they can be slim. And, and just a light sweater, you know, something that is good for changing weather. What about your uh, your bracelet? My bracelet better be there. No, it's there, okay. but it, but it looks different. What looks different about it? It was it was a turquoise bracelet, but now what? It's changed a little bit. What's changed about it? Now it's a alexandrite stone instead. So it's changing, but it's changing colors rapidly. It's not just changing with the light. It's just cycling through different colors. Oh, can I have your mom's initials in it too? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it says O. OG. 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 <laughs> that's open to interpretation. That's outstanding. So you're you're taking all this in, and uh, and as Ringmistress Maya is is bandaging your foot, she's like, "Look, I, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but it is very clear you're not from here. How did you find us out here?" I'd like to ask. A question. Sure. Well, you just uh, say what power you're using and what it is. So the girl has the power to use curiouser and curiouser. And so I can try to get an answer about the world or some of its inhabitants. So I ask the guide my question. I can either participate in a hopefully very normal activity. <laughs> my answer is going to be clear and helpful. Or if I don't want to do that, then I'll I'll get the answer in the form of a riddle. And I hate riddles and I'm terrible <laughs> at them. Yeah. So I'd like to ask the guide about sugar tits. Go on. <laughs> Go on. I don't know how much I should share or how forthcoming I should be because I, this world's crazy and I am among strangers and seeing like animals that can talk. And so I'm a little bit hesitant. And, you know, while I have been raised to be polite and answer strangers' questions, I've also been taught to be cautious by my mom. Okay. So your question is how much... Should you reveal? Mm-hmm. Okay. If you are willing to tell her everything, she will be forthcoming with you. Okay. I, I'm not quite sure how I got here. I was at home on the beach, and these weird men with no faces came walking towards me, and they had these medallions, and I reached in my pocket because I grabbed one, and I pull it out, and I show her, and they, they wouldn't talk to me. They just kept coming at me, and so I tried to get away, and I went into the Hall of Mirrors, and and they were coming after me, and then one grabbed me, and then all of a sudden I felt these hands on me, and I fell back into one of the mirrors, and then I was drowning, and then I saw this light, and then Gomer was there. She, she takes Told in. you! <laughs> Gomer, like, peeks up from behind, like, he's been laying under one of the benches nearby. You know that she's heard you, but the moment you pulled out that necklace 
you notice that her eyes have not left that, and she she reaches forge it. Can I look at this? Sure. She, I hand it to her. She takes it, and she says, "This this belongs to the Order of the Mask." What what did they they look like? The people who came after you. Do you guys have mannequins here? I, I don't know what a mannequin is. I'm sorry. They so they were wearing black, and they all kind of looked very similar, but they didn't have faces like we have. Their faces were where there should have been eyes and nose and mouth and and lines and wrinkles and character. It was just they were smooth. S- they were smooth. So okay. Oh, um, this this is. A, a clear sign of the the order of the mask. They are the reason we have been forced out here to where we are. We have we have been outlawed and pushed to the brink of society by the order of the mask. See, they are under the belief that everything should be logical and explainable. Anything that does not fit into the box that they want to create a society needs to be taken and destroyed they have been after us and pushed us to the brink they they have come in and they have they've kidnapped some of the the acts that have belonged to our circus we only we've only stayed here because we are on the edge of the whispering wood and the whispering wood is a place that they dare not travel I, i'm very sorry that they've come for you but if they've come for you it must be for something something severe I, I didn't do anything. I, uh, please do not take this the wrong way, but you were not followed here, were you? I don't think so. It was just me and Gomer when I when I woke Gomer. up. Gomer, she calls out. Yeah! Gomer, I, I need you to grab the others and start looking around the perimeter. Make sure there's nobody out here except for us and our customers. All right! <laughs> Gomer <laughs> runs off. Hey, Robin! Get your drunk ass over here! We gotta go look for people! I'm just finishing up over here with the captain. Are you from New Jersey now? Right? <laughs> I'm sobering up. <laughs> Bring the captain's torso. He's got the best eyes of the bunch. <laughs> she, sit, she sits down with you and she, she says, this seems like a lot, but you must be related to this somehow. They've been, like I said, kidnapping members of our group, driving us further and further into the woods. It, we are just people looking to use our, our special abilities and using our way of life to make a place for ourselves. Is that so wrong? No. Now, all of a sudden, you hear that that same voice from earlier that, uh, that you heard booing outside the tent. Uh, it sounds like it's arguing with someone. You hear him saying, the the only the first word you hear out of him is the word unnatural, and it sounds like he is aggressively yelling at someone. But Maya Maya is very focused on this medallion. You are the per she. You realize she does not hear what's happening. She's like dialed in on this medallion. What do you do? Uh, does she still have it in her hand? Yeah, she's still holding it. I put my hand over hers and I cover it, and I say, Maya, there's something going on outside. I think. Almost like out of a trance. She comes through and yes, yeah, I hear it. And she, she walks through and she, do you follow her out? Mm-hmm, yeah. And you see that uh, Robin is the person that is being yelled at by this this anteater looking guy, and he's 
just really in his face, just like his snout flipping up in his face, like, you know, you're, you, you're using your magic, you're, you're flaunting all of your magic in front of people, and you know what that's going to bring down on everybody's head. Tell me. You, I want to hear you say it. It's going to bring the order down here. The order of the mask has been chasing us. He's going to find us here, and you just flaunting all of your magic powers is going to make them come down and rain hell on all of us. How do you think it was me doing magic? I saw I saw you go up to that little nobody who pierced her foot and you're just like, oh, and all of a sudden she can juggle anything that you throw at her. I've seen you work enough. I have famous pep talks. <laughs> <laughs> I am known for you, my coaching ability. You little anteater. If you get in my face anymore, you're going to get bit. Well, oh, Oh, now, now, now you want to get violent with me just because I'm telling you that you're bringing danger you're on all of us. You're being violent with your words. So, Kat, you're watching these two people just get real into it. Well, how, how does this make you feel seeing two anthropomorphic creatures yelling at each other? What do you do? Robin Goodfun saved me. He made me the best juggler there ever was. And I've never been good at anything like that before. So I'm very grateful to him. And everybody I've met so far, in one way or another, you know, Ash and Gomer have helped me out. And this jerk is just making a scene. And so I march over to him with that, like, 12-year-old girl sassy stride. And I put myself right in between them and put my hands on their chest. I'm like, that's enough, you guys. Oh, now, now the, the little one, your, your little magic pet is getting into it. All right. Hey, you shut up. And I still have the medallion in my hand. And I'm like pushing him back. The second it. he sees that medallion, he his eyes go wide and he starts to freak out. Now you, you, you're what? You're one of them. Only they have those. You're one of them. No. Gosh, she's one of them. She starts, she starts Robin, shouting, bringing Robin, everybody's attention. Robin tackles that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and Gomer is just standing in the back with his paws up, trying to look big and intimidating. <laughs> 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 Outstanding! You wrestle him to the ground. What do you do once you have him him wrestled down? You will calm down. You're going to bring. You're going to bring things down on us. She's going to. Captain kill us all. Ash, Captain. She's going to kill us all. Do I have my arms back at this point? Yes. Your, your arms have been reattached right, by the woodsmith. Uh, I tried to restore some order here. Robin, let go of this guy. Aunt Eater, what's your name, good sir? But you know, Captain, you know me. It's Snoot Floop. Snoot Floop. <laughs> We've been through this before. We need to keep a low profile. Uh, you shouting out here is not going to uh, do us any good. We're That's trying to keep a low profile. And Robin, shame on you. Given yeah, this shame girl, on you. Given this girl, flaunting your magic in front of a whole crowd of people is not a responsible use of magic. No um, one ever said I was responsible. Well, if you're going to get drunk in front of uh, these people before performance time, it's going to bring down the order on us for sure. And, uh, uh, a snoople floop. <laughs> has a point here. It's snoop floop. It's, you know me! Hey, I'm Snoopfloop! Hey, Snoopfloop, hey. while he's kind of annoying and loud sometimes, he has a point. A we need to be loud. more responsible and careful about our magic use. In the future, we need to uh, keep that in mind, especially with the order and getting closer to our uh, whereabouts. We have to be uh, very cautious going forward here, guys. Well, it's probably time to move on then, huh? As it, Captain Ash brings everything to, to a calm resting place... You, you hear a, and all of a sudden, a fiery arrow lands into the side of the tent, and the tent catches fire. 
Fire! Fire! Shouts uh, Captain Ash. Captain Ash shouts fire, and then you hear and more arrows come flying in, and you hear the sounds of hoofbeats running towards the camp, and you all know, because you've been through this before, this is a raid by the Order of the Mask. The ringmistress hears hears Lisa runs out, sees the tent on fire, and she she barks orders at all of you. She's like, grab, find everybody, retreat to the woods. Little girl, you need to come with us. Mistress, we, we'll take the girl to the woods. We'll try and meet up with you as soon as it's safe. Good. I will st- I'll stay and try to hold them off. You guys get everyone you can out of the way. They can't take any more of us. Gomer, Robin, gather the troop. Little girl, you come with us too. We'll uh, meet outside the meeting place, the uh, the waterfall by the uh, the edge of the r- river. There's a cave under the waterfall. That's where we'll meet. If we don't see each other by tomorrow morning, we'll have to think of what to do next. Okay, just start grabbing people and go. Let's go. Gomer's hands are still, still, <laughs> still up in the air. Uh, so Robin has to. Robin tickles his armpits. Robin's a bitch! Hey, it's time to gather up. Let's go. All right, let's do it! Little girl, can you run? Uh, yeah, I think so. Then let's run. You take off into the the whispering wood. You you cross the threshold of the woods, and Cat, you turn back just in time to see these men in masks that are eerily reminiscent of the men you saw earlier come in uh, on horseback, and they're they have batons and flails, and they're they're. Try, taking down any of the axe. You see the ring mistress using her wand, throwing bubbles at them, trying to fight them off. You have a moment's hesitation where you want to turn back, and the last image you see is the tents all in a blaze of fire, and you feel the wooden hand wrap around your wrist of Captain Ash as he pulls you deeper into the woods. This is all my fault. No time for regrets now, girl. We gotta go. And I just kind of drag her along. If she's not able to uh, maintain the speed we're going, I'll uh, I'll actually pick her up and scoop her up and carry her. You are scooped up and carried to the woods, and the sounds of battle get further away from you. And that is where we end chapter one. As this evening's tale comes to a close, you notice the fireplace has lost some of its warmth and light. That's your cue that it's time to take your leave of the club. As you make your way to the door, you are tempted to deviate from this warmly lit corridor. Suddenly and silently, Stevens appears with your coat and the slightest of nods. You leave, satisfied, knowing that next month will bring another tale and possibly a chance for adventure. Goodbye for now, members.